0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday injustice, we have Christy Smith. Welcome to our show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So can you uh, give us a little bit of background uh, on yourself and uh, how you came to be interested in uh, clean slate legislation?
1: Sure. Um, I am with the R Street Institute in the Criminal Justice and Civil Liberties Program. I've been with R Street for about two years, and R Street is a nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank that is based out of Washington, D.C., Prior to working at R Street, I had dual careers in academia and as an adult probation and parole officer. Um, And I'm based in Pennsylvania. Um, So since about 2001, I have been working with individuals trying to uh, reintegrate into society. Um, I have worked and seen the challenges they've experienced. And through my research background, I have learned a lot about why those challenges exist, which is what brought me to the space of criminal justice reform.
0: And, you know, in my work, you know, one of the things that I've observed is that we make it as difficult as possible for formerly incarcerated people to not recidivate because we limit what they can do, limit where they can go. We put all these restrictions on them and then we say, go get them, which never made any sense to me. It seemed like if you were intentionally trying to set up a system by which somebody would fail, we couldn't do much better.
1: Absolutely. If this was a business model, I would argue that the return on investment is pretty poor, and that would cause normal organization or business to reevaluate the approach that they're taking.
0: Unfortunately, it seems like we're really slow about doing that. It it is happening in some places.
1: So um, actually, Pennsylvania, where I reside, is the first state that passed clean slate legislation, automated record sealing process for eligible individuals, uh, which I point out because there's a misconception who ever had a record, whether it was arrest or conviction, incarceration or probation, would be entitled to this. And and that's not the case. Um, So Pennsylvania enacted the legislation in 2018 and then implemented in 2019 and, you know, obviously had some hiccups with the pandemic. But since that time, uh, there's been a growing number of states that have recognized the value of record-sealing legislation and that have adopted models that fit their own populations.
0: And so what exactly is clean slate legislation?
1: Clean slate legislation is a bipartisan policy model that advocates for the public sealing of certain records. Um, Again, eligibility, there are certain offenses for which that record would remain in the public purview. Uh, There are a number of public safety carve-outs that also allow access to a sealed record for purposes of specific employment or if somebody's attempting to purchase a firearm or work within a security position. But largely what the legislation, legislation seeks to do is take those old records for which there was an arrest but not a conviction or for which there was a conviction, but the person has served their time and they have established for a certain number of years that they are law abiding, there's no reason to continue punishing them in perpetuity. So the legislation seeks to have that record sealed from the public domain.
0: And you argue that clean slate legislation actually enhances public safety, which I think goes against what a lot of people think. what what kind of evidence do you have to support that view?
1: When individuals have had their records sealed, they have greater access to stability of all of the basic life necessities. Having a roof over their head, being able to obtain suitable employment to provide for themselves and their dependents. And what the research is showing us is that uh, that allows them to establish a social identity that is now conforming with law-abiding society. They're, They're establishing social capital. They now have a job they don't want to lose, a residence they don't want to lose, and they have that stability that then keeps them on the path so that they are not faced with what we call survival crime or lack of trust and faith in the system that causes them to go back into that life of crime that they used before.
0: I've seen statistics that show that just having a single conviction on your record uh, drastically reduces your earning potential. Um, So how can this help counter that?
1: And one of the most comprehensive studies they've seen so far is that one year after somebody's record has been sealed, their odds of employment are more than 27% higher than they were prior to record-sealing, and that their earning capacity is 23% higher as well. Those individuals are no more likely to quit or be fired or face disciplinary actions. Those part that did not have a prior record. Um, So this is something that's not only beneficial for the individual or for public safety, but this is really something that can be beneficial to local economies. That's more money that's going back into local economy, but also our national economy as well.
0: And, you know, it, it seems like one of the best preventions of recidivism is A, education and B, getting a good job.
1: Absolutely. The one thing I would point out is that, you know, it's not just a job that they're having access to. It's a job that has value to them, uh, not only for their their social identity, um, reducing that stigma and the establishment of social capital, but it's also a job that allows them to meet their financial needs. Uh, And they have greater access to jobs that are not unskilled or low skilled by virtue of having that record sealed. They're actually able to compete for Employment that is suitable to their needs, aligns with their interests and their training. And then that allows from, you know, crime and maintain that social capital that is so valuable to them.
0: Um, and can you walk us through what your study entailed and, and, and what kinds of things you were looking at?
1: Sure. So one of the first things that I looked at was how we got to this place where one in three Americans has a criminal record. Because When you hear that statistic, I think it evokes fear because they think, oh my gosh, everybody around me is some sort of, you know, individuals that's been arrested or been convicted. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, Unfortunately, we have many public records for individuals that were arrested and not charged or not convicted, which means they are no more, you know, quote unquote criminal than somebody else. Um, But the bigger point to be made here is that you know we got to this 100 million uh, adults in the united states with a criminal record largely through legislation that was enacted beginning in 1970 and then you know going through the mid 1990s despite the fact that we were seeing crime rates drop precipitously so what we would look to is uh, our tough on crime legislation starting with you know, federal prohibition of substances moving into bail reform and then looking at the 1994 Violent Crime and Control Act, you know, that's really when our criminal justice system swept people in mass up into the system. And so, you know, the the federal government has recognized not only this emerging uh, population of individuals that were formerly very socially well integrated and working, but that are now caught up into the system as a result of drug charges or welfare charges, They've also recognized for several decades that reentry is nearly impossible for these people because of the criminal record, and so you know they, that that acknowledgement is is reflected in our fair chance housing uh, opportunities. It's reflected in ban the box, but unfortunately, those things are ineffective and inefficient in offering these individuals the opportunity to have access to housing, education, employment financial resources, financial assistance, food assistance, all of those things. So, you know, this is a very complex problem, uh, wherein Clean Slate really is, uh, in our perspective and based off the research, one of the best solutions to get individuals back into the workplace and to establish the stability they need to not end up homeless, to not end up reverting to crime.
0: And there's a lot to unpack there, but I mean, is there a downside to this clean slate approach?
1: I think because this is new and with anything new, there will be hiccups along the way. Um, I don't see a downside to publicly sealing the records of individuals who have established that they're law abiding. Um, each state has their, currently their own approach to this. So the downside would be that legislation, but that is not closely aligned with what the research has established. Um, anytime there's any issue with that that would be sensationalized, it might deem the legislation a failure. That legislation might not have been implemented correctly. That legislation might not have been necessarily aligned with the research. Um, so, you know, there's, there are going to be hiccups with anything that has, is as new as Clean Slate is. Um, however, in Pennsylvania, we have not yet seen that. And we are the, we're the commonwealth or the state with the longest legislation on the books. So, super ca- cautiously optimistic um, that this is going to open so many more doors uh, for individuals that enhance public safety and helps reboost our economy. Have
0: you been able to follow people that have had their records sealed and uh, been able to look and see their success?
1: So that's a great question. And that was one of the first hiccups that was noted in the legislation because access to these sealed records is very limited and for very specific purposes. And research was not one of those purposes. Um, Also in Pennsylvania, um, we're now on our, what we call 3.0, our third iteration of working out these tweaks, but also expanding it. Uh, One of the, the first things they noticed is that they also didn't notify people who had their records sealed. That their record was sealed. And if that person has been knocking on the closed doors all these years and don't know that now that record's not there, um, we're not able to assess, you know, any progress that they've made. Um, I would say personally and professionally I have seen these stories bear out. Uh, I began my career in 2001 as a drug court officer in a suburban Philadelphia county and at, at that time, the primary uh, model for drug courts was that after you completed the, the, it was a pre-trial diversion, and now there are many models, but uh, individuals that graduated from the program, completed all their requirements, their record was automatically expunged, those charges were dismissed. And so those individuals that I have seen throughout my career, You know, those, they are successful. They were able to go on to college, establish jobs, families, and all of those things. But quantitatively, uh, we're very limited because that was a gap in uh, the legislation.
0: In what way has this helped? I I mean, it it seems like unless we can kind of follow it on the ground, it's, it's hard to know how successful this has been.
1: Right, and that's a great question and it's one that I am met with anytime I'm speaking to anybody about this. I will say that in Pennsylvania, in the short time that uh, they had implemented clean slate legislation, 52 times as many misdemeanor convictions were sealed as compared to the five years prior where the petition-based process was in play. And so uh, just for educational purposes, Uh, Many states, the vast majority, include some sealing mechanism, um, but it's often petition-based, it's complex, it's costly, uh, it takes time, people are intimidated, and so, you know, that's, that's not happening, and that's why automated record sealing processes that take care of this for the individual is really effective in getting those records off the book. So our numbers really right now are more concrete with regard to how many people are eligible in a jurisdiction, how many records have been sealed, Um, but learning uh, these, you know, learning as we go, as Pennsylvania has done, and then tweaking our own legislation or informing the legislation of other states that are trying to adopt this has been really helpful to to make sure that we are able to, to quantify and gather that information.
0: So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, what's the big deal about a misdemeanor? But I can tell you, my wife, in conjunction with her job, went to Texas to protest working conditions for janitors, and they intentionally got arrested. And so they were all charged and eventually, you know, convicted of uh, misdemeanors. And then, you know, like uh, 15 years ago, we were trying to adopt our daughter, and We had to actually file a request with the DOJ to get a waiver for that. And, you know, you can think about it, you know, it's probably the most innocuous and explainable misdemeanor you can have on your record. And we had to go through all that. Um, So you can imagine what it's like for somebody with criminal records uh, that are more serious trying to get all sorts of things.
1: Absolutely. And, and the one thing I would point out is that we're doing this for individuals that have been charged but not convicted. So, you know, there some people will argue, OK, you know, you did the crime, you need to do the time and that's fine. However, that time never stops for people. And not only, you know, as you referenced in your situation, but where we see people unable to really be socially integrated is that a charge like that may prevent a mother from volunteering in her child's school, uh, even when the teacher's still there you know to come in to read a book for a couple hours. You know, those things are automatic disqualifiers for a lot of different things beyond our, our basic life needs to secure housing, you know, secure employment, secure food education. So you know I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you had to go through that. And that is actually something that the legislation had to address as well, that you have to be able to unseal the record for the people that need it to be unsealed to prove something like that or to explain something like that that had occurred. Um,
0: So what sorts of crimes are eligible? I'm guessing most misdemeanors.
1: It depends on the jurisdiction. Um, The Clean Slate Initiative does advocate for at least one nonviolent felony to be inclusive in the legislation. That doesn't always happen. Um, Pennsylvania's approach started very conservatively wherein only summaries were sealed or arrests that did not result in conviction. And then they expanded into misdemeanors, again, nonviolent um, charges. Uh, we tend to exclude anything uh, that is classified either as a sex offense or wherein the individual had to register as a sex offender. Similarly, domestic violence is routinely ineligible for sealing, Um, and again, all of those because of public safety concerns. Um, But the legislation can really be specified to the state wherein they're looking to pass that and that allows the state to make those eligibility criteria
0: which leads me to the question you think this needs to go further.
1: Absolutely. We've really seen a lot of momentum, especially the number of states, at least 10 states within the past 5 years have adopted the legislation, some more aggressively than others. Others, you know, as I said Pennsylvania started conservatively but has now is now on its third iteration and has expanded the pool of eligibility. Other states are kind of in the middle ground, but there are a number of states that are seeing the benefits of this. And then also considerations for federal legislation as well.
0: And this kind of goes backward, but you know, what do you see as uh, some of the collateral consequences for having these records on things like housing and education and jobs, especially?
1: There are 45,000 uh, collateral consequences of arrest or conviction. 45,000. That's a high number. That is a very high number. And states uh, also vary with regard to their occupational licensing um, that would also restrict eligibility. So even in a state that has passed clean slate legislation, occupational licensing barriers may still play a role in somebody not being able to obtain employment. And the thing that I would point out with regard to the collateral consequences is that Some of them are for public safety, um, but many of them do not take into consideration the time that has passed since that crime happened. And because 90% of employers, 80% of landlords, and 60% of colleges use criminal record checks as in a front-end screening tool, individuals aren't even getting that opportunity to say, yes, I have this on my record, however, it was 15 years ago, here, here are the circumstances, um, maybe, maybe somebody didn't have a public defender, they didn't know their rights, they pled guilty, you know, they might not have otherwise been convicted, or they They were, you know, rightfully convicted, but they've turned their complete life around and there's no context for that in a front-end screening device. Um, And that's why there are some of these carve-outs that allow for after somebody has applied for um, housing, applied for, you know, a a loan, applied for education, they say, okay, especially um, employment in public safety, anything with security clearances, they've gotten through that entire process, and then it still may be contingent upon the record. Um, So it's it's dual protections. There's uh, employer limited liability because you can't hold an employer responsible for something that they didn't know. Um, But there's also the protections for somebody that's gotten all the way through to the, the end stage of interview, where now they have access to that record to make sure that this is not going to be an issue.
0: Yeah. uh, A few weeks ago, we were talking uh, to a guy about the Thurmond Amendment and the fact that that precludes people from uh, being able to get housing, which, you know, I mean, there's some things that make sense, right? I mean, you know, if if you were a convicted sex offender, uh, you probably don't want them, uh, you know, working alone with children. But, you know, preventing somebody from housing because they had a drug offense 20 years ago doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Exactly. And some of the people that are excluded from housing, it may not even be their conviction. It's the conviction of their significant other. And if that was a felony conviction, that person is then excluded from any type of public housing. And let's not forget about their children who did nothing in this scenario. One in two children across the United States has a parent that has some sort of criminal record, and that then creates a generational issue where there's lack of access to stable resources that predisposes that child to a, a different set of life scenarios that you know the trajectory tends not to be as positive as the one in two that don't have a parent with a record. And why do we
0: want to force people that have a criminal record to live in substandard housing?
1: Yeah, I, I would argue that we don't. Um, you know, if you think of jails and prisons as another form of substandard housing, where we congregate a lot of people that, you know, have similar challenges, but also um, similar and often problematic decision-making skills, you know, there there is less incentive for somebody to then try and be socially mobile in an upward direction. Um, You know, I would argue that aside from the fact that there's been a dramatic increase in homelessness during the time with which the legislation I mentioned was put into place and then aggressively enforced, um, you know, we're now completely socially isolating entire you know communities for the rest from the rest of mainstream America, which is not incentivizing them or giving them access to anything better than what they have.
0: Yeah, it's just like I said at the outset we've made this as hard as possible for people to get back on their feet and you know I'm sorry but you know if you want somebody to not commit future crimes, they need to have a job, they need to have housing, and um, most of them need to have education.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think that we can really see not only the detrimental impact of forever branding people with this scarlet letter of a criminal record, but one of the more innovative and uh, promising things that we've seen in recent years is that individuals that have been barred from any other type of employment are now creating their own field of employment uh, in the form of reentry specialists. So individuals that have records that experience the barriers that everybody that we're talking about you know, is experiencing and they're being hired to come in and work with individuals who are trying to improve reentry. And they're coming to the table with that lived experience that is helping not only individuals that are also going through that, but it's helping people in criminal justice reform more fully understand all of the different ways in which a person has been ostracized, not only from the things that we're talking about, but set aside in their children's school because they can't come in and volunteer or at their church because they're not allowed to, to participate in certain service. Um, so, you know, the, the scarlet letter is uh, now turning into that, that able. You know, what am I able to do? Where am I able to do it? And individuals are finding innovative ways, but not nearly in the numbers that would be beneficial for public safety or the economy.
0: And the irony is that what we're doing under the guise of making us safer is actually making us less safe.
1: It's not only making us less safe, it's costing us a phenomenal amount of money. Our national economy loses approximately $87 billion per year And the social costs of this, wherein people are now heavily dependent on either illegal behavior or other resources, is estimated to be $1.2 trillion per year from excluding basically a third of our population out of viable employment. And taxpayers are bearing the burden. They're picking up the tab on that and they're picking up the tab on the $300 million a year criminal justice system costs that we didn't have 30, 40, 50 years ago. So that's a phenomenal amount of money that taxpaying, law-abiding citizens are paying in addition to the public safety concerns.
0: Um, And have you been able to track recidivism rates as the result of the clean slate legislation?
1: They do. So um, one of the first studies came was uh, in the Harvard Review, which indicated that individuals that have had their records sealed um, misdemeanors and felonies are separate tend to have tend to not recidivate um, if the record has been sealed after certain periods of time so if a person was convicted of a misdemeanor they are no more likely than somebody in the general population to commit a new criminal offense within three to seven years after that last offense has been resolved. Similarly, for felonies, the average tends to be five to 10 years. So when the legislation is drafted in each state, that's something to be mindful of, that we do see recidivism rates drop precipitously if somebody has remained law-abiding for approximately three to seven years after they have fully served their sentence, done everything they needed to do, and they've remained law-abiding for that period of time.
0: So what does your future work look like?
1: In this area, we're looking to bring this message to as many people and as many diverse populations as we can. Um, fortunately, there's been a lot of support from very diverse groups, inclu- including the district attorney's office, including um, commerce individuals, including local business owners, including major business owners um, like J.P. Morgan Chase, Verizon, um, a number of different organizations that recognize not only the value of hiring people that have a prior criminal record, but also who realize that individuals should not be punished in perpetuity for a mistake that was made in years past. Um, So we really look at this as an opportunity to educate people on the benefits of clean slate legislation, to address their concerns uh, on clean slate legislation, and then to work together to bring real solutions in the jurisdictions that are, are interested in pursuing this
0: um and finally if people want to learn more where can they go
1: they can certainly learn more about the paper that we've been talking about by going to rstreet.org. Uh but if they'd like to learn about the larger clean slate initiative that is the cleanslateinitiative.org as well um, so there are a lot of resources that are out there and there's also uh, the national Uh, restoration the restoration of rights project Um, and that goes by a 50 state comparison of expungement sealing and other record relief uh, to give people insight into what different jurisdictions are doing and what the opportunities are
0: well i want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing a very interesting line of work
1: thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: this has been Everyday Injustice. We've been talking with Christy Smith from Our Street, and we've been talking about Queen Slate legislation and one of the collateral consequences of mass incarceration. The fact that so many people have criminal records and it's a barrier to them actually being able to get back into society and be able to live a normal life and not commit future crimes. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more Tales from the Injustice System. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com that's justice for George Powell, alloneword.com.